How's everybody doing? Good. You glad to be at church today? Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here. You glad for that? Come on, let's get excited. Well, I'm glad that you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor of BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. Speaking of God's Word, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in John chapter 1. New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 1 is where our assignment is today. While you turn there, let me say a few things. First, let me say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Let's make some noise for the dads in the room watching online. Yeah, BT, we believe in a culture of celebration. We say it each and every week. Um, There are plenty of churches filled with plenty of people that can't seem to get excited about what God is doing, and we just don't want to be one of those. Uh, Let me say this. If you're here often or if you're new, uh, when we talk about what God is doing, uh, I want to be clear. It's not simply the numbers or the metrics. It's it's not uh, about that. It's about the movement of God, and we simply believe that spiritual decisions are something that we should celebrate. And so a few things I want to celebrate today, we uh, most likely have some people that are our VIPs today. It's your very first time being with BT Church in person or online. Let's make some noise for those VIPs, so glad to have you with us. If you haven't done so, I invite you to do me a favor. You can look at the seat in front of you, maybe to your right or left, you'll see a sticker with a QR code. If you scan the one that says VIP, you'll be sent a prompt. If you'll fill that out, we'd love to reach out to you this week. Or you can text us at 97,000, as you've already heard. Uh, But we'd love for you to do us that favor. We also want to welcome the BT Online family. Give it up for BT Online, watching with us uh, from all over. Also, this past week, our student ministry headed to Camp Zephyr for the annual student camp. And uh, we saw... Uh, just under 200, I believe 197 participants head out to Zephyr, and, and that's great, but really what we celebrate is that 21 students, middle school and high school, gave their life to Jesus this week uh, from our group. And so, so thankful for our student ministry, for all of the volunteers, for our staff, uh, and of course for Colin, our student pastor. If you see him today, make sure you tell him how much you appreciate him and all the work that he does uh, to let our middle school and high school students draw close to Jesus. Uh, those 21 that gave their life to Jesus, check this out, since last Sunday, Sunday to Sunday, we had 38 people say yes to Jesus to the ministry of our church in some capacity. And year to date, 229 people have made that decision, and 122 people have entered the baptistries of our campuses saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. We will close out our service today uh, with two more. And then because we're, we are one church, if you don't know this, we're... we're <coughs> Excuse me, we're one church with a coughing pastor. Um, we're one church, uh, but we exist in five campuses across the Rio Grande Valley and coastal bend of Texas. There's 100 miles between our campuses. So we don't always see what's happening all over. Today, our Alice campus is actually going to celebrate 12 baptisms. And so um, it's just really exciting uh, what God is doing. The other thing I want to celebrate before we move on is I want to celebrate what God is doing in our church through our Experiencing God study. Uh, we are in the third week as far as our Wednesday nights. This Wednesday, we're in the second week of our series. But uh, if you're new or you're unaware, you've been gone for a few weeks, there is a Bible study uh, driven by a workbook called Experiencing God. It's been around for decades. Um, thousands, actually probably hundreds of thousands of people have gone through it. Uh, many of you have gone through it in the past, but we're doing it as a church. And I just want to commend you for showing up and showing out. We have had to add seats Uh, each week for the first two weeks. And let me say this, if you haven't joined us, it's not too late. This Wednesday at 6.30, we're going to meet in this room for all of our Valley campuses. 
And uh, you can pick up the workbook in the bookstore if you don't have one. Uh, but it's not too late if you miss the first two weeks or you know you'll miss two weeks later on down the road. Come join us. We're sitting around tables and we are talking about what does it mean to know and do the will of God. And so I just celebrate what God is doing through our Wednesday night study. But on Sunday mornings, we're taking the themes of the Bible study, and we're preaching through them. So this is the second week of the series. If you missed last week, you can catch it online. Go to YouTube, search BT Church. And uh, last week, we got an overview of what experiencing God is built on, and how, how it's built on these seven realities. And you'll see that, again, if you catch up from last week or you see it in the workbook. Today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about what does it mean to look to God as we seek to know and do His will. What does it mean to look to God when it comes to knowing and doing his will? Now, when I say looking to God, I don't mean casual glances. I believe one of the greatest challenges in the Western church today, the church in our society, is that there are too many people taking too many casual glances at Jesus. And then, and then we wonder why our lives aren't transformed. We wonder why we go back to the same mess while we don't live a victorious Christian life, while we end up in dead in relationships, while our finances are a mess, and it's because we're not living obedient to the Word of God because we're not looking to the Son of God because we just take a casual glance here and there. We show up for church when it's convenient. We, we, we get the, te- the verse of the day text to us. Now, let me say some things. Uh, showing up to church, spending 90 minutes with the family on Sunday, that's amazing. I'm not downplaying that. Signing up for a service that sends you a Bible verse every morning, that's great. But what I want you to know is that there is more to knowing and doing the will of God than taking a casual glance at Jesus. If we really want to live life to the fullest, John chapter 10, verse 10, if we really want to know and do the will of God, then we must look to him and specifically look to the son, Jesus, who has given us life. What I love about the Bible study we're doing, Experiencing God, is it reframes a question. Many believers throughout the years have asked a question and prayed this question, God, what is your will for my life? It sounds like a great question, and I'm not saying that it's altogether bad, but but we spend so much time and energy seeking God, what's your will for my life? Life And what Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, points out to us is that when we really start to look to God, when we really want to know and do the will, we drop the my life clause. You catch that? God, what is your will is a very different question than what is your will for my life. If we find what he's doing, if we join him in the work of his will, our lives will be impacted. So many believers in so many churches are wrestling to know the will of God, and I'm just convinced it's not a mystery. God is not some cruel God up in the sky playing hide-and-go-seek with his will, with his plans for his children. We need to seek him, not by the casual glance, but by setting our gaze on the face of Jesus to to do what the old hymn tells us, turn our eyes upon Jesus and what look full, Not, not look casually, not look quickly, but look full in his wonderful face. And so today, looking at the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, I want to talk about three aspects of looking to God through the Son, Jesus. Three aspects of looking to God and talk about how that helps us know and do the will of God. Let's jump in together today. John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in the beginning, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Genesis 1.1. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and 
the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he, ch- but he came to testify about the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Let's hit the pause button. What's interesting in John chapter 1, those first few verses, we read this phrase that's pretty well known. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, what you can do in John chapter 1 is anytime you see the word, word, you can replace it with Jesus. Word? <laughs> see what I did there? Some of my homies got that. So you could say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. I want to point something out that may be helpful for you in your Bible study. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are the life story of Jesus. They give an account of the life of Jesus while he was on earth. Some people may think, well, that seems kind of redundant. Why do we need four different stories or four versions? Well, let me tell you why we have four Gospels. Each gospel is written by a different person, and so it's being written from a different uh, lens or vantage point of looking at Jesus. For example, the gospel of Matthew, if you read it and study it, what you'll find is the gospel of Matthew very much focuses on Jesus as king. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, and you read the gospel of Matthew, you, you come to understand Jesus as king. The second one, Mark, it's the shortest of the four, 16 chapters. The Gospel of Mark is focused on Jesus as a servant. What's amazing is you'll find lots of stories of kings in history. You'll only find one story of a king who came to serve. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the Gospel of Mark focuses on the servanthood of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke focuses on the humanity of Jesus. This amazing reality that Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and was God. Jesus, while he is fully God, he put on flesh and he left heaven and came to earth. And in in his 33 years of existence on earth, there's this theological reality that Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. So that in his humanity, he would pay the price of sin by dying on the cross, but in his deity, fancy word for his godness, in his godness, he defeated sin and death. Theological word for the day, are you ready? Wow, that was really disheartening. <laughs> Theological word for the day, you ready? Yeah. All right. We call this reality of Jesus being all God and all man, you wait for it, wait for it, the hypostatic union. Ooh. Here we go. Hypostatic union. I'm going to count to three. You're going to say it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Hypostatic union. The theology in this room is impressive. So so Luke, the gospel of Luke focuses on the humanity of Jesus. So Matthew, his kingship. Mark, his servanthood. Luke, his humanity. And then the gospel of John builds out a vision of Jesus as God himself. And so the four paint the picture of the whole. You see that? 
So, so that's what's happening. But, but as we read about Jesus in John chapter 1, specifically verses 1 through 9, this is what we see that as we look to Jesus, there must be, and you can write this down as the first point, there must be a recognition to who Jesus is. If we want to know and do the will of God, we must recognize Jesus for who he is. There is a recognition that must take place. There's a well-known Christian author, C.S. Lewis. You've no doubt heard of him, probably, many of you. He uh, wrote lots of books that have impacted the faith, Mere Christianity, A Grief Observed, A Great Divorce, The Weight of Glory. Uh, But what he's maybe most well-known is a set of children's books called The Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you are like, dang, I didn't know that was a book. It was before it was a cartoon or movie. And the Chronicles of Narnia, it, it, it chronicles, hence the name, a story of this group of children, these siblings, who, who are transferred to, to a different realm, if you will, and they get there through this magic wardrobe. And so that book was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now what you need to know is that C.S. Lewis, being a believer, he would write the Chronicles of Narnia, through the lens of a Christian interpretation. And so these children, as they get to Narnia, they would come across this evil queen and they would have lots of trials and tribulations, but they would come to meet Aslan, the good king. Aslan is a lion, much like the Lion of Judah. And through the Chronicles of Narnia and the different volumes, we see Aslan as the victorious king and we see the children's lives transformed. I say that to set up in case you didn't know the background, but the second book in the series is called Prince Caspian. And there's this scene in Prince Caspian where one of the children named Lucy, she is gazing upon Aslan after after seeing him again after some time had passed. She's gotten older and she is looking at Aslan and she says to him, she, she says, Aslan, and he says, yes, my child. And she says, you've gotten bigger. And Aslan looks at Lucy and he says, no, my child, you've gotten older. Lucy responds, and have you not? The great line, Aslan looks at Lucy and he says, no. But every year that you grow older, you will see me bigger. You catch that? Aslan, you're so much bigger. No, no, I'm not bigger, you're just growing. I want you to catch this and if you tune out through everything else, don't miss this statement. Beloved, your and my, our spiritual growth is inextricably bound. It's it's inseparable. Our spiritual growth is inextricably bound to the size of our vision of Jesus. You will never grow past the size of which you view Jesus. As we grow in our faith, our vision of Jesus should grow as well. It should promote more growth. We should recognize Jesus as who he is. And while for some of you that have been in church for a while, you may kind of roll your eyes or think, oh, here's the really elementary stuff. I can't wait for us to get deeper. I'm tired of all this stuff. We don't get it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 tell us who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He has always been God. He's always been with God. He's creator. He is life itself. He is the light of the world. Here are some theological realities of how we should view Jesus, right? Well, who, who is Jesus? Jesus is eternally preexistent. That's a fancy word. What does that mean? He's always been there. 
Now, I'm going to break down some theological realities, but I'm going to bring it back to application, so stay with me. When we recognize Jesus, we want to know and do the will of God. We set our eyes on him. We recognize that he has always been there. And he's not simply always been there as some sideshow. Jesus, eternally preexistent, has forever been in relationship with the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus has always been there, and he has always been with the Father. That's what John 1 tells us. John 1 tells us that he is creator, that there is nothing that has been created that wasn't created by him. Paul says it in the book of Colossians, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. He has made everything. He is life, and because he is life, he is the light of the world. Think about Jesus as creator, because here's what I would contend today. That some of us are struggling to know and do the will of God because we don't have a right size view of Jesus. Like when things are going pretty well and everyone's getting along, Jesus, all hail King Jesus, we sing it. But when trials and tribulations mount up, when life takes detours, we get rocked because our view of Jesus simply isn't big enough to be reminded, listen, while Jesus is large, it doesn't mean we don't have troubles, but it means that he's still bigger than those troubles. And so just a reminder of who Jesus is. Let me nerd out for a second. You good with that? So Albert Einstein, right, well-known physicist, one of the smartest humans to ever live. In his day, Albert Einstein said that based on the most powerful telescope that we had, we were probably only able to view one one billionth of theoretical space. Okay? One one billionth. All right. What scientists have deduced today is that the average galaxy has 100 billion stars in it. Okay? That's, that's one with nine zeros. The average galaxy has 100 billion stars. Scientists have guessed that we have been able to observe 100 million galaxies. All right, I see, I see the glazed look in your eyes. You're with me. 100 million galaxies. That's what we know of, okay? 100 million galaxies. Each galaxy, 100 billion Stars. And Einstein says we're only aware of one one billionth of space. So if you extrapolate the numbers, you say, Chris, where are you going? How many stars are there then? If we know of a hundred million galaxies and they all have a hundred billion stars, and that's only one one billionth of what's out there, you ready for it? That would lead us to, to assume that there are one octillion, didn't make it up, stars out there. That's one with 27 zeros after it. You're like, okay, I am going to sleep. <laughs> Wrap it up, man. So we go through the dark night of the soul, and it's real. We don't need to downplay it. One of the worst things that churches do, like, oh, you, got, you don't have problems. We got problems. We go through difficulties. 
the marriage has difficult days. Our kids, they wild out sometimes. Our finances, uh, they don't live up to the bills we have. We get in a mess on our own and other people get in a mess with us and all kinds of things. And those troubles are real. But we we look all these places for help and we forget that Jesus himself hung all of those one octillion stars in the sky. He knows where they are. He put them there. He cares about you. He's not far off from you. You think he's got something to say about the troubles you're dealing with? You think he's got a plan for your life? You think he has a will that if you would submit and surrender to it is for your good? You know how that starts? It starts by recognizing Jesus as who he is. He's not some rabbit's foot we carry around to to call upon when we get ourselves in trouble. He's not this weird-looking guy in a painting. He is the creator of everything. He has been there forever. He is God in the flesh. And I promise you, if we would work on recognizing him as who he is, it doesn't mean our problems go away. It just means we recognize how small they are compared to the Jesus we serve. There is a recognition that must happen for us to adequately know and do the will of God. He is the creator. But it's it's not just about how much we look to him. Listen, looking to God is, is not about recognizing him through our casual glances, as I said. It's not 90 minutes on a Sunday. It's not the verse of the day. It's not if you're lucky, God, I'll give you Wednesday night. I mean, just think about if we did our marriages that way. Those of us that are married, right? I told my wife, hey, you're going to get 90 prime minutes on Sunday, babe. And first thing every morning, I'm going to text you. You're going to wake up to a text of the day. And if my week is going okay... You can count on Wednesday night. That would not, that would not equal a very good marriage. So, so part of the recognition of Jesus is actually the, the quantity of time that we focus on him. But it's not simply that. It's not just the quantity. It's also the quality. It's not just how much we look. Because hear me, beloved, there are people today looking at Jesus, looking at God a lot, but they're not looking at him the right way. The way we look, the way we recognize Jesus. There's a story in the Gospels of a woman who had internal bleeding. Some of you are familiar with the story. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But there's a woman who had a 12-year issue, a medical diagnosis of internal bleeding for 12 years. She spent all her money, and doctors couldn't do anything. She heard about Jesus, and she thought to herself, if I could just touch the bottom of his robe, And so she breaks the law by going into the town. Her condition would mean she wasn't allowed inside the city. She breaks the law. She cloaks herself. She pushes through the crowd. She doesn't cry out, Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But her faith, the way she recognized Jesus was so great, she didn't think she had to call out to him. She didn't need him to touch her forehead and say, you're healed. She just simply knelt down and touched the hem of his garment, the bottom of his robe, and power flowed from Jesus to her body, and she was healed. And when he turns around and recognizes that power left him, he says, who touched me, right? And when she acknowledges it, trembling with fear, no doubt, the first word he says is the most powerful. He says, daughter. What good is physical healing if there's not spiritual healing? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. She recognized Jesus. And it wasn't just about how long she looked at him. It was the way she looked at him. 
Beloved, you're no doubt some of us going through some things. And what I want you to know, I know many of us know this, but do we practice it? You have a Jesus. You have a God who has a plan for you. And there is a will, and it's not simply a will for your life. He's got a will. He's got a purpose. And you don't need him to cater that to your life. You need to cater your life to that purpose and plan. And when you start to recognize Jesus as who he is, when you look to him in that way, you understand that you can trust him in that way. Nerd out in science one more time, and I'll be done with science, all right? There's a guy named Charles Steinmetz. You may or may not have heard of him. You've probably heard of his friends, Nikola Tesla, Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison. These are the guys this guy ran with. no, No offense to my friends in the room, but that's not the group I run with, right? Why do I say that? That means Steinmetz was, was next level smart, right? He was next level smart. And th- there was a point in time he, he, he knew uh, physics and, and, and uh, he understood the way things worked. And so Henry Ford had a problem at his plant, the Ford Motor Company, where a giant generator wasn't operating correctly to power the assembly line to produce the cars. He had heard of Steinmetz's ability to diagnose and fix these things, so he called him in. Steinmetz goes to the Ford Motor Company in Detroit, Michigan, and this was his, this was his requirements. I'm going to work alone. I need a cot. I need some water. I need a pad and a pencil. And so Charles Steinmetz, no great stature of a man. He stood four feet tall. He was hunched over, very disfigured in many ways. But he goes and he spends about two days listening and calculating And then when he calls for the engineers of the Ford Motor Company to come, he says, this is what I need. I need a piece of chalk and I need a ladder. He takes the ladder, he leans it up against this gigantic generator that powered the plant, and he climbs up the ladder and as he listens to one specific spot, he draws a line with the chalk. He comes down from the ladder and he tells the engineers of Ford Motor Company, take that panel off that I've marked. Take that panel off and replace these 10 wingdings, replace these 10 little bolts in there. Replace the panel and the generator will work as it's supposed to. They scoffed at him. We've been trying to diagnose this all this time. You're telling us you just take off one panel and replace a few things? Nonetheless, they did what he said and it worked as it was supposed to. Henry Ford received an invoice from Charles Steinmetz for $10,000. $10,000 is a lot of money in 2023. It's a whole lot more money in the 1920s. A little bit taken aback, Henry Ford sends a request for an itemized bill. This was the bill that Steinmetz would personally send to Henry Ford. The bill read this, chalk mark on generator, $1. Knowing where to put the mark, (laughs) $9,999. Henry Ford paid the bill. (laughs) Beloved, don't we look everywhere to diagnose the problems in our lives? We let so many people tinker with the problems of our lives. And if we could just do this and we could just get that and if I could just get it my way right away, because that's the world we live in. But if we would recognize that Jesus, he knows where to make the mark. Lots of people in our world will claim to know how to fix things. But Jesus knows where to start. Looking to God and knowing and doing his will is connected to recognizing Jesus for who he is. John 1 verse 10, it says this. 
He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And so as we look to God to know and do his will, it is built on a proper recognition of who Jesus is. But secondly, it only can flow out of a relationship, write that down, a relationship with him. Recognizing Jesus for who he is is critical but it only leads to knowing and doing the will of God if it's flowing out of relationship. John 1, 10 through 15 tells us that the word dwelt among us. Sadly, verse 11, it says that he went to his people, but many of his people rejected him. That there was a prophecy in the Old Testament of the Messiah. The Jewish people were looking for their long-awaited deliverer. But sadly, in the New Testament, most of them missed it. They were looking for the wrong kingdom to be restored. But in verse 12, John clearly states this. He says to us, But to all who did receive him, many didn't, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believed in his name. Knowing and doing the will of God is dependent upon a relationship with his son, Jesus. That's dependent upon belief. What verse 12 makes clear is that every human being is indeed a creature of God. But not every human being is a child of God. As creator, it's all his. But only those that have, that have received Jesus, only those that have called upon his name, only those that have not try the endless pursuit of religious activity, but they have instead had a transfer of of relational identity. Only those are called his children. The text says, makes the point, that this is not a natural descent. It's not about your family lineage. It's not about the will of man or the will of flesh, but the will of God. What does that mean? Quite simply is this. We do not become sons and daughters of God by birth. That was last week, by the way, the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus tells Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, I don't think that's going to work. I've got I to go back to mom? No, uh Jesus clarifies what he's saying. He says you have to be born again. What does that mean? That means that it is not our birth or, or where we come from or how good our family heritage is or how much church we got in our background. We do not become sons and daughters of God by birth we become sons and daughters of God by worth. Now, you may say, hold on a second. That sounds kind of egotistical. So let me clarify so we don't get it twisted. I'll speak for myself. I know for a fact the wretch that I am. I know me better than anybody else. And I know at the end of the day that I am not deserving of the blood of Jesus. I'm not. I don't need anybody else to tell me that. I know it. You may agree. Satan may say, you know what? You're not worth it. 
And at the end of the day, I, I become a child, I become a son of God, not, not by birth, but by worth, not because I have demonstrated my worth, not because I have done things to, to display my worth, but because Jesus has decided my worth. I don't deserve it, but in, in, in spite of my lack of deserving it, he has, Jesus has said, I want you, you will be mine, I am paying the price for your freedom, I am seeking you, you don't seek me, let's not get it twisted, none of us who have said yes to Jesus came up with this great plan, my life's a mess, I need to chase God down, he's been chasing after you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost and became a ransom for many, and as he sought me, what happened in my life is April 18th of 1979, I was born But March 4th of 1998, I was adopted. And I was adopted because Jesus said I was worth it. And because of that relationship, because of that relationship, I can now know and do the will of God. I don't have to narrow it down to my life and make me the center of the universe. I need him to be the center of the universe. I adjust my life to his will and not vice versa. And it is through relationship that I recognize Jesus as the Lord of all. And in that recognition and in that relationship, things begin to change. I celebrate the fact that he sought me, that he adopted me, and that he made me his own. Verse 16, John chapter 1 says this. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. We look to God, we look to God recognizing Jesus as who he is. We do so through a relationship, and it's possible because of third point, write this down, revelation. We can look to God because he has indeed revealed himself to us. He has not hidden himself. He has not made himself unknown. Now, revelation is an interesting word. Revelation, you may hear that word and think of the last book of the Bible. That's a natural thing to think of. And By the way, I'm on a life mission to correctly identify the last book of the Bible, so let me do us all a service here. The last book of the Bible is called Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. Everybody say Revelations. That is not the last book of the Bible. There's not two of them. It's not first and second, so don't be offended. I'm just here to get that one right. So Revelation, we may think of the last book of the Bible. That's a great thing to think of. But in today's spiritual culture, Revelation shows up a lot more than just the last book of the Bible. And a lot of people talk about a new revelation. And I'm not going to get too far into that. I've got my own opinions on that. I don't know that we need a new revelation. We just need to be faithful to what's been revealed. And if someone comes to you and they say that they have a revelation about your life, from they got a word from the Lord about your life. They've got a revelation for you, and that revelation doesn't draw you closer to Jesus and agree with the word of God. Guess what they don't have? They don't have a revelation for you. God will not contradict himself. Any revelation that's goal is to make you feel better about yourself, apart from Jesus, is not a revelation from Jesus. Any revelation that doesn't agree with that which has been revealed, understand this, beloved. The written word reveals the living word. The written word agrees and points to the living word. And so we we live in a time we can long for fresh. I think fresh and new are different, by the way. We can long for fresh revelation. We, we, We can long for God to speak to us. 
And, and, and he may or may not do something new as far as revelation, but it's always going to agree with what he has already revealed to us. You want to know and do the will of God? You want to look to God appropriately? Look to him through the lens of what he has already given us by way of revelation. We look to God through the word that has been provided because it represents Jesus. Verse 16, what has been revealed to us? I love this verse. Verse 16, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus has provided for us a fountain of grace. An amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That revelation promises us that he is always with us. It promises us a new life. Famous evangelist D.L. Moody said this to his congregation one time. He says, one day you'll read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody has died, but don't believe it. The body dies, but the soul continues. It's been revealed to us by relationship with Jesus that we can recognize he has defeated sin and death. He has provided a way for us to move forward. What has been revealed can be trusted. It can be applied to our lives. That's why we talk so often about the importance of getting into the word of God. That's why I'm so excited while, while we're using a workbook. It's not about the workbook. It's about the scriptures used in the workbook. That's why we talk so often about the discipline of not simply showing up to church, but leaving and, and getting into the word of God because, because what we are looking for has been revealed. And, and I know some of us, maybe you're new to the faith, and you say, well, Chris, I'm trying to, but I just, I don't know where to start. And it's, it's a, you know, it's such a big book, and, you know, I, 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 there's these two testaments, and there's, I, to, I was told there's 66 books in those two testaments, 39 in the old and 27 in the new. I don't know where to start. Well, the Gospel of Mark's a great place to start, as I said. It's only 16 chapters. It's short. But I think sometimes what happens is we fail to understand what the Scripture is, what is revealed. You see, all of Scripture is about one central person, Jesus, accomplishing one central purpose, redemption, for one central reason, the glory of God. Wherever you are in the Bible, that's what it's about. You know, we've had this rise in the last decade of uh, Bible reading plans in a year, and you, you know, many of you know I've, I've jokingly said this. I think they're great, by the way. You should read the Bible cover to cover. You put the whole picture together. You can read it in a year, five days a week. You can read it in a year, seven days a week. You can read it in chronological order. You can read it in 90 days. There's all these reading plans. But for many of us that maybe are newer to the faith, you, you jump in on January 1 and you start in Genesis, and Genesis is 50 chapters. It's like this amazing novel, story after story, and you get to Exodus, right? And Exodus just kind of continues the story, and, and, you know, all these crazy things happen, and you look at the Israelites, you're like, ah, oh, those guys are kind of idiots, and you look at your life, you go, I guess I kind of am too. And, <laughs> and then, about a quarter way into the year, you get to Leviticus, right? And as I like to say, it's where Bible reading plans go to die. And so we get discouraged, and we, and we give up, but I think part of the reason, listen, Leviticus is great, but part of the reason why we give up Part of the reason, whether we're in Leviticus or we're in the New Testament, part of the reason why we backtrack and we, 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 don't, we don't grasp and we don't run to the revelation that's been given to us is we forget it's not 66 independent works. It's not even two independent testaments. It's one story of Jesus. I'm going to take three minutes. I'm going to wrap this up. Here you go. You ready? This is the Bible in three minutes. You ready? Genesis chapters 1 and 2 show us that Jesus is creator. 
God creates, and Jesus is God, everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He, he put the plants and the animals and then the crown of creation. He put, he put humanity made in his image. And so Jesus is creator and things are great and there's no separation. But Genesis chapter 3, humanity chose chaos. Creation to chaos. We exchanged the truth for a lie. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were told not to. And their relationship with God was severed. Genesis 3 the end of the Old Testament to the end of Malachi is all about covenants. You got creation, you got chaos, and the rest of the Old Testament is about covenants. I thought you said it was about Jesus. It's about covenants pointing to the fact that God's going to fix the problem. And the solution's name is Jesus. He tells, he tells the serpent in Genesis 3, you're going to bruise the heel, but the descendant of the woman is going to crush your head. He would speak through covenant relationship. I'm going to form a people, Abraham. You don't have any kids, but I'm going to give you a kid, not just a kid. You'll be the father of a nation, and through that nation will come the Lion of Judah, and he won't be for one group of people. He'll be for all people who call upon my name. And then God would raise up prophets to go speak to the people of Israel. Hey, don't forget. Don't forget what this is all about. One of them, Isaiah, he would say, listen, there is one coming, and by his stripes we're going to get healed. It's not about some... Some world power on earth, it's bigger than that. Creation, chaos, covenant, end of Old Testament, beginning of New Testament, Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus shows up. He is born of the virgin. The Luke 2 story. Fear not, the angel says to the shepherds, because I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people who are born to you this day in the city of David. is the Savior, Christ the Lord. We get the picture of Jesus. The book of Acts through Jude, second to last book of the New Testament. It's about the church. Creation, chaos, covenants, Christ, church. What is the church? The church is the mouthpiece by which God wants to tell people that there is a way to hope. And that gets us to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. I have to abandon my seas now. Creation, chaos, covenant, Christ, church, and then the good news, there's gonna be a recreation by Jesus and for Jesus, all things will be made new. That's the Bible, guys. It is the story of Jesus and the fact that his glory is always for my good. And so what do we do? Here's the first thing I want to ask you. What's your recognition of Jesus like today? Have you made him into a rabbit's foot you pull out when you need him? Have you made him into an image of God that you submit to as long as it's what you're praying for? Have you forgotten who he is because maybe your dreams have not yet been upheld? Let's remember who Jesus is, God himself, the light of the world, the creator of all things, and definitely bigger than all of our problems. Maybe this week you need to make a list just start writing things down you recognize about Jesus. If you're in this room in just a few moments, you may want to come forward to this altar and just kneel and maybe confess, Jesus, I have, I have created too small of you. Maybe you want to come pray with someone and say, I need to increase my vision of Jesus. If you're watching online, send us a message with that prayer request so we can pray for you by name. Maybe in, as you recognize who Jesus is, there's a step you need to take. A repentance, walking in a different direction because the way you've been walking is not faithful to what he's called you to. 
Maybe you need to join those being baptized, saying, listen, I'm willing to identify because of my relationship with Jesus. I recognize him as Lord of my life. I have decided to follow Jesus. You want to talk about baptism, you can go to our info center. We'll answer any questions you have. You've got to struggle today. Don't forget that Jesus is bigger. These men and women, that's why they're here at the front in just a minute. It's not that they have the answer, it's that they know the answer. You say, like, what what do you mean? The answer is Jesus. And they'll pray with you. But maybe for someone in this room or watching online, what you need today, it's, it's not necessarily adjusting your life in some way. But as Blackaby says in Experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God is built upon the fact that God extends a love relationship towards us. God's not asking you to somehow be more religious. He's not asking you to figure out all the answers, prove yourself worthy. God is saying, I have decided you're worth it and I have given my son to die in your place. And maybe someone today in the room or online, what you need to make is not a next step, but a first step. A decision to follow Jesus, to say yes to him, to align your life with his as you receive the gift of salvation. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we get ready to worship today. If you would say, Chris, I don't know that I've made that decision. I've been around church some maybe, I've got some religious information, but if you were to say, Chris, I don't know that I've given my life to Jesus, then what I want you to do is, I want you to say this prayer with me. The prayer is not a magic formula because there's no such thing. It doesn't matter if you say things, if you don't believe them to be true. But Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us that if anyone believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and the Father raised him from the dead, that that person would be saved. That's what we believe at BT. That while it's a free gift, it's not a cheap gift. Jesus has paid the price. The question is, have you received that payment? So if that's where you are, you're ready to make that decision, then I invite you to say this prayer with me right where you are. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe he left heaven and came to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later, he rose again and defeated sin and death. And so, Jesus, today I trust you with my life. And I received your your gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me first. Would you help me live for you every day of my life? It's in your name that I pray.